If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rent Roll Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we're interviewing another brother from GoBundance, Justin Ledford. He is the founder and CEO of Flagstone Roofing, and he's also started a mastermind where he teaches. It's called Federal Construction University, where he teaches other contractors how to successfully run their contracting business and then funnel funnel the proceeds from that into buying uh, real estate and other assets. Justin, thank you so much for joining. We're so excited to have you. Man, thanks for having me on the show, Sterling. It's always good getting time with you, brother. Awesome. Justin, can you give our listeners a little rundown of who you are, what your experience is, what you've been doing lately, how you got into it, and just why we should listen to you? Sure. So... I'll give you a, a good, you know, background. Back when I was 14, this is 25 years ago. I said, "Dad, I want to buy a Golden Eye. I want you to buy me this Nintendo 64 thing." He's like, "Son, you're old enough to be a man. I'm going to teach you how to knock on people's doors and inspire <laughs> them to like you and trust you and hire you to, you know, clean their pools, wash their car." sweep their house. And he taught me a valuable skill. And I learned how to inspire people from 14 to 18. I was making shy of 100K just doing odd jobs after school on the weekends. And I got the ambition bug, the entrepreneurial bug. And when I turned 18, somebody introduced me to direct sales with Cutco knives. I fell in love with that. I sold I was the top guy for every year straight for 10 years in a row in Houston, Texas, sold 3.7 million, made over one and a half million in less than 10 years. And I kept going to this guy's house and he was, lived in a castle on a golf course, beautiful truck, nice wife. Every year she would buy more knives for me, more knives than they ever needed. And he's like, son, <laughs> his name is Mr. Braun. He's like, son, why don't you start selling roofs? And I said, man, look at me. I'm chilling with your wife, drinking tea. She's feeding me bagels and I'm making 500 <laughs> bucks every, every time I see her. And But then my wife said, hey, we got a baby on the way. So I realized, man, I got to make a change. I, this 150K a year is not enough. And I basically went down a quest to learn from the best coaches, masterminds, mentors, and invested significant amount of money to learn how to become a roofing and solar sales expert. A big storm hit, and it was in Austin, Texas. I it was a storm I prayed for for months, and yeah. basically, I basically went out there at 4 a.m. I had my pregnant wife in the car, my old little Honda, and I was like, "Honey, I I, I get to the, the the area where it said the storm was at, and there's a little lady walking outside. I'm like, excuse me, man, where where's the worst hail at?' She's like, "Get out of here, crazy!" It was like 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And then I, I'm like, okay, I find another lady. And she's like, oh, it's by the high school. Long story short, I go to that area and I see the trees down and I see destruction and like the hair on my arm and neck sticks up. And I'm like, honey, this is it. This is where <laughs> I, I'm going to be all day. And I cracked that neighborhood open, sold 3 million bucks, made 300K in four months. And from there, that's when I realized, okay, wow, I'm onto something. I never made that kind of money. I used to work all year, weekends, holidays, late nights to make 150K. 
And that was the moment I said, all right, I'm taking this money, buying a foreclosure. My pregnant wife and, and I are going to live in there, fix it up with our own hands. And that's when we learned the burst strategy. From there, we got another one. And the following year, another big storm happened, did the same thing. I got another two foreclosures, fixed them up. Uh, did the birth strategy. The following year, another storm happened, did the same thing, got two more and just kept doing the birth strategy. And a short amount of time in um, less than four years, five years now, I have acquired three properties in Austin, Texas, you know, paid cash plus an office building, uh, two properties, one pro- two properties in Houston, Texas and an office building. Uh shy of 10 acres in Costa Rica and a really nice home on a river in Costa Rica where I live full time. And I have the passive income to now focus on helping people through my mastermind, Federal Construction University, which teaches entrepreneurs how to win high paying government contracts and use that money to funnel into real estate. That's my story. And that's why they should listen. That's a great story. I've got a ton of questions. Um, so first of all, I love how you said, you know, 150,000 is not enough because so many people out there today, you know, they balk at you when you, if you've got a, if you've got a, you know, an executive job where you make 150 grand a year, they think you've made it. They think you like, why would you ever in a million years walk away from that? You know, but, you know, if, well, and if you look at the average like income of Americans, like that is a, that is a good job. But, but to your point, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough to live like, the, the lifestyles that we want to live, you know, so I, I really love how you, you went out there. Um, I feel like you skipped a step in the story. So when you, when you started making a lot of money, you were working for somebody else selling roofs, but now you have your, no, I started roof. my own, I started my own company right away. Okay. Okay. So how did you, how did you go about doing that? So my dad and brother and uncle, they would come over. My wife, she was an accountant for a big, big oil and gas company. And she would be like buried in work. After work, she'd come home and she'd have to do work late at night, thin her laptop, like crunched in a way. And she'd call me in the middle of the day like, hey, hon, what are you doing? And we were fresh. Like we got married after less than a couple months. So we didn't know each other that well. We were just deep love, fell in love, got married. And the reason I say all that is because she called me in the middle of the day like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's like 12, it's like two, it's three. I'm just chilling, reading a book. And after, you know, her calling me so many times, like, do you ever work? I'm like, yeah, I work when people get home. I'm at their house. So, you know, selling them stuff. And I'm on the weekends at the trade show selling them stuff. And I would do really well, you know, make five grand in a weekend. And, but the, the point of me telling you that is, my dad would come over and complain about uh, how much money he was making as a roofing salesman. So did my uncle and my brother. And then one time after we heard it so many times at the dinner table, my wife was like, guys, why don't we start a roofing company? Y'all teach us you know, what you know. We'll put it through the family. Justin will fund it. He'll be your sales manager. And I, I led them and funded it. And my wife's background in accounting Um uh, and we started the business and they were, you know, the driving force. I mean, it was like herding cats, herding my dad and brother and I were like, I bet. <laughs> and, you know, I'm younger than them. I'm their boss. And, but I, I learned the game from them and I'm Man. so grateful. I'm so grateful. May God have mercy and peace on my dad. He's up in heaven laughing down at this story. And he taught me the business. 
And I am so grateful. That's how we started it. For eight years, I let them run it. I just kind of manage it very, I didn't really take it serious, nor did my wife. Um, but then when, when we had that baby on the way, my wife's like, Hey, we need to make a change. And I'm thinking 150 K that's definitely not enough. And that's when I said, you know what? I'm going to learn. Cause if I'm paying these guys, you know, six figures and I know how little they're working, I wonder what I can do with my white glove, you know, professionalism that I've been trained in the Cutco world. Cause they train, they train good salespeople. And, um, that year I went out and just, you know, three X what every one of them sold in less than four months. Awesome. Awesome. So how do you manage? And I, I always say I have these, um, I have this podcast to selfishly ask questions of people that are doing things better than me. It's just my, it's my, my outlet to get time with people to, uh, so it is a real estate investing podcast and we, we, um, we always focus on real estate investing, but, but realistically, you know, we're all entrepreneurs. So my questions are more around, um, your business, your construction business, how you, um, how you started, how you fund it, how you manage your cash flows, how you manage the people, the systems. So tell us more about, about running a business. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, by the way, to your audience, I do have a podcast, which we'll talk about later that goes over all this stuff. But to answer your question, how do I manage my business? You have to have an organizational chart. When you're first starting out, you're going to wear a lot of the hats. I mean, you're going to do the financing and the sales. You're going to have to order the materials. You're going to have to deal with the homeowners collections and all that stuff. Um, my business is specifically insurance restoration. Like that's one. I have two businesses, but that's the one we're going to talk about right now. And uh, as I got capital in the door, because it's all funded by insurance companies, um, I found a production manager, somebody who could schedule all the builds, you know, get the subcontract agreement signed, order all the materials. And so that took a hat off my plate. It took a monkey that was jumping on my table, like just bouncing around every day. I, I was able to take that monkey off my table. And now somebody's handling all the trades, the roofing, the gutters, the windows, the yada, 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 yada. And then I found, we found somebody in the Philippines. My wife is really good at finding, you know, assistants, virtual assistants who could do all of our financing, uh, accounts payable, accounts receivable, uh, calling insurance companies. I have a staff of over half a dozen all in the Philippines that does all that for us. So we're saving a ton of money, like six people for the price of, you know, one here in America. Um, so that's a great asset. And then, the recruiting manager or the growth manager. So in every business, you need to have what is known as the SOG method, service, operations, and growth. Then you need to have an integrator, and then you need to have a visionary. And the service person handles, you know, production, operations handles, uh, finance and, you know, accounts payable, receivables, and growth handles, you know, like for you guys, real estate acquisition. But for me, they handle recruiting new Hungry individuals that want to learn how to make six figures chasing hailstorms and hurricanes. Uh, so that's how I organized it. It's a work in progress. You know, I'm, I'm the visionary. I still get to show up and, uh, and share vision, but I, I still have problems that I have to address. And, and that's why you and I talked about the EOS method. And I'm like trying to dive deep into that so I can systemize my business better. But with that being said, I live in Costa Rica full time. 
and my business runs itself and it's it sells you know it's our goal is eight figures this year and it's with me not being there so we got a good system but we can definitely improve upon it awesome so you mentioned you started buying and burring houses um and some of the areas that you talked about buying in like austin texas um I believe traditionally have a price to rent ratio that is not probably all that conducive to um, really good cash flow. Um, but you also mentioned that you you bought the properties in cash. So how are your how are your single family burr properties cash flowing? How are they financed? Are they are they financed at all now? Did you buy them cash and then get a bank loan on them? Or are they still free and clear? Just tell, to tell me a little bit about the real estate. Yeah, so I buy. I my number one rule in real estate is always win on the buy. I went to some seminar like I don't know, fifteen years ago, where there's there like a twenty five thousand dollar upsell at the end, and and I learned that rule: always win on the buy. And I learned about wholesalers and how you can get on their list. And I and I learned the second rule is always win on the buy. So number one and two rule are always win on the buy. So. I then go find the wholesaler. I have construction in my background, so I have an idea what it's going to cost. I buy them free and clear cash, and then I fix them up. And for the longest time, I never took leverage for a long time. I just put a tenant in them. Um, but in the last two years, we we did leverage. We you know we took a loan on them, did the refinancing method, so we could get more cash. And they make. Um, Five hundred to eight hundred dollars a door, uh, plus because I mean, think about it. The Austin went up so much in value uh, prior to when I bought, so it was just really good timing on my part. Uh, very grateful for that. And I, not all of them are bird. Not all of them. Uh, a handful of them are. I don't have that detail in front of me, um, but. Uh, that's my my mission is just simple with real estate. We as entrepreneurs, we have to take our hard earned money and don't just buy liabilities, buy assets if we want liabilities that will pay for our liabilities. Like I want a sauna here in Costa Rica. I want a bigger you know deck down by my river. And I'm not just going to go buy them. I'm going to reward myself when I get another cash flowing asset that will pay for it. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So now that you've got leverage on those houses, um, and you say you got 500 to 800 spread, tell me a little bit more about that leverage and that spread. And, and, and I'll, the caveat to why I'm asking is, you know, I've, I've got a, a ton of burr houses, rental properties that I bought over the years. And, and sometimes, you know, you've got, you've got, what you you're you're like pro forma cash flow, you know, like what you put on a, a spreadsheet before you buy it. And then a lot of times later it doesn't it doesn't work out that way. So I always ask everybody what their formula is. And I'll share my formula and then and maybe you know tell me how how far away yours is. So what I do when I burr houses or when I buy rentals, and I pretty much always burr them, but um the formula I look for from a cash flow perspective is, you know, I'll take the rent and then I'll take 20% off of the top. And I say, okay, I'm going to give 10% to property management. I'm going to give 5% to vacancy and 5% to repairs. So I take 20% off of the top. And then off of the bottom, I'll take principal interest, taxes, and insurance. 
And then the spread is what I call my cash flow. And it's anywhere from $100 to $500. And some with some properties, it you know works out that year. With some properties, it goes negative because you got to replace a roof and $100 a month over a year doesn't cover the cost of a roof, you know. So, um, how are you analyzing your your Burr rentals? <laughs> That's a great question, bro. That's why I married an accountant. Um, <laughs> kind of like I'm kind of like the go getter, like hard charging, laser focused. Figure out how to make as much grow, money grow, as possible. Grow, yeah. yeah, grow, 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 and then like let her figure that out. Uh, like that, I don't even know the answer to that question. I'd rather just be straight up with your people, and I have the right person in the right seat for that. Uh, and that's just not my skill set. So I don't know the answer to that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So with your, with your construction company, um, it sounds like you're, I love what you said. You need service operations and growth. I've never heard that, but you know, but outline that way. But, um, on the growth side, you'd mentioned for you, growth is recruiting and growth is recruiting sales folks. Is that, I'm assuming. <laughs> Because everybody that goes and sells a, a roof is and okay. So my my question is when you're hiring salespeople, what do you look for? Oh man. Well, we basically have this indeed special list and we re- we bring a ton of people in the funnel and then we have a process where we send them like a pre-written text with one of our links that explains what we do. We're trying to push people away because you have yeah. to be a savage gladiator to do what we do. And uh, and then from there, they get on a pre-interview with uh, our sales manager. And he's, again, trying to push him away. And a certain amount of those people actually show up to the six-figure call with me. I have every Tuesday and Thursday with a pre-beautified PowerPoint presentation with a bunch of slides that shows videos of people who are like, Justin's business is amazing. I made six figures in less than four months. Multiple of those uh, type of testimonials. And uh, I basically like, it's a numbers game. We go through so many people just to get somebody to say yes. And then when the person says yes, <laughs> we go through so many people who will just make it through 10 days. And the ones yeah. who make it through 10 days are our diamonds and we take care of them uh we lock them up with a leader so every day they're out in the field they have somebody who's a veteran uh we have weekly day two weekly calls to to make sure they're staying plugged in staying excited and we don't just throw them out to the wolves you know where i failed in the past and this is applicable to your uh, real estate investors because if they don't have a business acquisitions person if they don't have somebody who's doing specifically growth-oriented tasks, reaching out to brokers, reaching out to, I don't know, realtors who have, or wholesalers who have uh, off-market properties, then they're shooting themselves in the foot. And the the training needs to be so ironclad that somebody's accountable who's going to run it. In my world, I have a sales manager who's accountable. To every week, he has to bring in 10 contracts. And under his... Uh, team, he has leaders and they all have to bring in two contracts a piece. So I rate him just like off the EOS method. Okay. You brought in eight contracts this week. Uh, you got an 80. That's pretty good. But how can I help you get to 10 next week? And that's applicable to the real estate investors because if they had, if they had that set up with, it's all the same thing. It's all a funnel. 
It's all just a yeah. big giant acquisition funnel, regardless of what industry you're in. Um, yep. That has got to be one of my favorite quotes I've heard in a while, though. Uh, we try to push people away because you have to be a savage gladiator to do what we do. That 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 resonates so much with me in my uh, in my my corporate career. I was a sales manager, and we would, you know, when you hire somebody, especially in like a large corporate environment, it's really hard to get rid of, right? Like like if somebody, if if, if I want to get rid of somebody at at Crestwood Capital, we can do it like today. But at, at these big corporate monsters with their HR departments, like, I mean, and, and their unions and everything, like, it, it could take six months to, to get rid of somebody that's not doing anything. So to your point, what I had just, I'd gotten to where, uh, my interview process was just like giving them all of the gory, like stuff that they're not going to like in the job. And saying like these, this is the reason people are quitting. This is the reason I'm having to fire people. This is the this is the stuff you're going to come up against. Basically, trying to convince them to to walk away. And if I can't get them to give up, then you know, then maybe they have a shot of being successful at the job. Because um, like the 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 customers that you're calling on are gonna uh, they're gonna make you want to jump out the window. So so I always say like. They're going to see how you res- respond to a little pressure from me because the customers are going to give you that same pushback. You know, it's interesting. Um, in my world, I every new recruit, they have to call their friends and family because they're having a grand opening. And they mm-hmm. have to say, hey, grandma, I just started a new job. I'm, I'm showing people the benefits of solar. You don't have to buy nothing. Uh, but I just need to show it to you to get my promotion. Uh, do you get your electricity bill online or in the mail? And the, the reason I tell you that is because in y'all's world, I have interviewed a very high level, successful real estate investor. And every person that comes through his door, the new recruit has to make, a, I don't know what the number was. I think it was a hundred contacts a week where they have to call everybody in their network, letting them know, hey, this is what I'm doing now. And they get their email and put them on a drip automated uh, like it's an automation yeah. thing that's years out where every five days they're getting or every month they're getting some type of email. So that's a value add that I'd say to your people. Yeah, absolutely. I, do you ever get any pushback when you're interviewing people and you tell them that they're going to need to reach out to their friends and family? No, I, I tell them. And since it's me doing my pitch from stage, I have the, the six-figure uh, recruiting call. It's a PowerPoint presentation. And like halfway through the slide, after showing multiple case studies of people who made over hundred grand, I tell them, hey, we're going to have a grand opening. and I've never had any pushback, not not one time, because maybe the way I showed, hey, if you follow our system, see what this person said, this person said, this person said, that person said, maybe that's why. But if I were just like, if I didn't show them the case studies of real success within my system, then I could see them being like, eh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, uh, it makes it makes it really makes me think of my um, experience maturing as a salesperson. So when I first when I first graduated from college, I got recruited to sell insurance for Northwestern Mutual. And it was a very similar kind of referral based process. Write down a list of everybody in your phone and you're going to call them and you're going to meet with them and then you're going to ask them for referrals. And I just hated it. And I and I hated it to the point where I wouldn't make the calls and I would lie about making the calls in my sales. Area. I mean, and 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 fast forward 
a decade, you know, I, I got into a different career and I read a book by Zig Ziglar. It's called The Secrets of Closing the Sale. And the first like chapter or two of the book is really about is it's not any sales techniques. It's it's all like a mindset deal about like your problem is you're looking at sales the wrong way. Your problem is you see yourself as that annoyed, pesky, you know, bothersome salesperson. And, and it's stopping you from, from taking the right action or helping other people take the right action. And I always think of the life insurance example. So when I was, when I was 22, you know what I mean? I felt so insecure calling my uncle trying to get him to buy life insurance or long-term care insurance or whatever. And I just hated that feeling like I was bothering everybody. And fast forward again, you know, a decade later and, and a couple of things changed my perspective. So I read that book by Zig Ziglar. And it really outlines like how helpful salespeople truly are because they you, you drive people to take action that they should be taking that they won't be taking. Let's go back to life insurance. I have two small kids. I have millions of dollars in debt. My wife stays home and doesn't work. I need life insurance more than, I, you know, I drink a lot of caffeine. I eat a lot of red meat. Like I need life insurance more than probably anybody on the planet needs life insurance. And I would have never in my entire life gone and signed up for life insurance. What happened is one of my old coworkers from Northwestern twisted my arm, harassed the hell out of me until I broke down and and bought it. And thank God he did, right? Because I need it. But I would have never, I just would have never done it. You know, I just, I'm yeah. too busy. I'm too busy. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. give, yeah, I didn't want him to, to do the medical, take blood. I didn't feel like doing the paperwork. Yeah. If he would not have twisted my arm to do the right thing, I would have never done it. And I'm very grateful mm. to that salesperson for being persistent enough to not accept my rejections when I blew them off. You know what I mean? And then I look at like my uncles that have with all these different health issues and they're like, man, I wish we had some type of long-term care insurance. I wish we had, you know, life insurance, but now we don't qualify. And here I was too insecure back then to push a little harder. Whereas I could have made sure they had that, which now they regret not having. So it's man, just that's that so beautiful. It's so true. Salespeople, the the best salespeople are really good at follow up. They say fortune is in the follow up, and every time they follow up, the, I teach my people, hey, don't just be, don't just say, hey, I'm just following up. What we teach our salespeople is, hey, I got some new information for you, and then tell them some new information, and say, by the way, the reason for my call is dot dot dot. Because what happens is when you say, hey, I'm just following up, it's like the worst thing. Nobody wants to hear that. But you're like, hey, I got some new information about our one of your neighbors. We just got them a new roof paid for by their insurance. Uh, you know, the, Sally, three doors now. And by the way, where are you at in the process? And it just works so much better. And on, with that, I got to ask you, was this self-directed, like infinite banking or what type of insurance? Just curious, because this is my chance to pick your brain a little bit. So this was, I bought term life insurance. Um, now, just for me personally, because of my real estate investing and how all of that structured, um, I, with the, the large chunks of cash that you would deposit into a whole life policy, I can personally make much, much higher returns in, in my real estate business than, than leaving the money in there. And then um, by the time, you know, that term expires or it becomes unaffordable, you know what I mean? Uh, most of my assets will be paid off, like the mortgages will be paid off. And, it, and I won't really have a need for insurance at that point. You know, um, I, I just 
So I'm not I'm not a huge believer in the whole life. I see a lot of stuff on infinite banking. That seems to be the big trend these days. I don't know what I'm missing about, you know, I'm not as into it as all these other people seem to be. And I don't know why that is. I just I remember the math of of whole life. I sold whole life for years. And I I remember sitting there and this is how it can grow. I don't think any of it actually grew that way, but you know, we projected it. And and it just it wasn't that substantial. Um, the growth wasn't that substantial. I mean, it was like three percent dividend rate and compounded over, you know, 50 years, you can get somewhere eventually, but it just for for me and my business and how my finances are set up, it just doesn't seem like like a great option for me. And then with, with the infinite banking, again, it's like from my understanding, you put the money, you dump the money into the whole life, and then you borrow it from yourself, and then you pay three percent, but you're making three percent, so it balances out. But you can buy real estate with your own money after you also did the insurance. And so I just I could never get anybody to I mean I explain I, it to I, you. Explain I, it I to you. And I've interviewed I've interviewed Mark Willis and all these other people who are like certified infinite banking experts. And I just I couldn't get an explanation that that's knocked me off my socks like everybody else I seem to meet that sees it. You know, I got I'm a like, guy for you. Uh he's he only does high net worth individuals that we use and we were referred from a high net worth individual uh mastermind we're a part of. And, you know, maybe he'll give you a different perspective, but thank you for sharing. I, I now know where you stand on that. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to try and sell against it. I'm just saying like, I hadn't been sold to it. You know, I hadn't, I haven't been, uh, I'm, I'm guessing with you asking, you're a big believer in it. I'd love to, to hear yeah, your perspective yeah. on it. Um, yeah, so we, we are a believer in it, but we don't, we're not straight balling out of control like you are, uh, with the, the whole real estate por- portfolio that you have. Um, we make substantial chunks of change cash from our business. So we have a lot of money left over at the end of the year, even on top of buying, you know, a couple of houses a year and we can borrow from it. It costs us 2%, but we still make 6%. So okay. we become our, we become our own bank. And that's that's the reason why we do it. Awesome. I think I think it it makes sense in some circumstances. It's just never made sense for me, or hasn't recently, um, because I don't I don't have like this huge cash inflow, like like you do from your construction business. You know, I, I have I have a bunch of rental properties. I have a ton of equity. You know what I mean? But cash is always a problem. So, yeah. so it's, there's just, there's never been this moment where it's like, oh, well dump, you know, just dump this 300 K into this insurance policy and then come back and get it. Um, so maybe, maybe, you know, as, as I grow and grow my other businesses, it'll, it'll start to make more sense. I think that's the difference is just having a big surplus of cash at the end where you have, you're rich in equity. Um, right. and my, my, like I work all year and then get the big payout and those government contracts, you know, make a big chunk of change. So I have you know, the, that's why it's different for us. Tell us about the government contracts. We talked about the roofing, but, um, I want to hear more about the government contracts. Yeah. So there's government contracts the government is incredible. They have over 360,000 assets in America and not to mention might- tens of thousands. You might be the first person in history to say the government is incredible. 
<laughs> well, I mean, in terms of how you can make money and and and, yeah, and no, help, <laughs> help and help them and help them with their investments. Um, sure. uh, this past when the new president got put in, he passed a two trillion dollar stimulus spending stimulus that they they in writing are going to spend two trillion dollars. That's the most money they they've ever spent and they're ever going to spend up to this date and time on government contracts, construction and procurement. So if the government wants to buy, you know, 5,000 cell phones, they can't just go to T-Mobile and buy them. They have to put them on a website. And if you know how to find that data, how to bid that data and how to fulfill that order, you can make substantial, substantial amount of income. And same with construction. If you have an insight, if you know a little bit about how to subcontract stuff and find a guy who can do the roof, find a guy who can do the floor, find a guy who can do the paint and you know how to find the deals and how to bid them and put them on a package that the government likes and how, how they want it formatted. It's a numbers game. You, you can have an acquisitions person turning in 20 a month. That's our ratio. Every 20 we turn in, we get one contract and each contract next nets 50 plus thousand bucks. Um, it's, it's just a numbers game. Everything's a numbers what, game. What kind of contracts are you getting? Like, what are you working on? Procurement, procurement and construction. So like the government wanted a, some flooring delivered to Alaska. They gave me the exact spec. So one of my salespersons types in spec in Home Depot, find out it was going to be 6,500 bucks. We put our markup on it. It was like 50, almost 15,000 bucks. Turn in the bid, how the government wants it. That's the big thing. If you, if you don't check, do it perfectly, check your boxes. Throw, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They'll still throw it away. And from there, we got the contract, you know, just to, just to buy something and, and give them a tracking number. We didn't even have to deliver it to them. And we made, you know, I don't know, 9,000 bucks. Another one, the government wanted, uh, some solar panels taken off of a flat roof in a remote place in New Mexico at a national park. I saw it. I used the things that I teach my members how to find the local supplier, how to find the local subcontractor who's the number one guy in town who does just that. I gave him the information he needs to see. I didn't give him too much because if you give him too much, then they, if they're smart, they can go after it themselves. Uh, but I gave him exactly what he needed to see. We agreed on 37500 bucks, And I turned it in the package how the government wants it. And he paid for all the materials and labor. I made over $77,000 and he paid for everything. I handled the paperwork. It was done in less than a couple of weeks. And another one where the government wanted an HVAC. No, they wanted a boiler. And we charge 116000 I I found the guy who could do it. He gave me a price for around 50K. You know, we made over 60K and he did all the work. And these are projects that take, you know, seven to 10 days just to install a boiler or just to take some solar panels off and make a car shed off of it. So where do you find these things to bid on? Like, is there a website and it's just like, hey, this is all the stuff we want to bid on? And you just go through Correct. it. That's something we could do. That's something we could do. Yeah. So there's this thing inside my mastermind, Federal Construction University. I lay it all out. Like I give people a blueprint, A to Z, how to do it. So there's no, you know, piecemealing it. But I'll, I'll kind of give you all some insights. There's websites like the SAM.gov, the DOD, the subnet. And they list out every single thing that they want done. And there's tens of thousands of them released every day. It's it's ridiculous. And the problem is last year, $20 billion of these contracts was just set aside and handed to large businesses. Because small entrepreneurs like your listeners, like myself, 
aren't registering bidding these deals. So if the government doesn't get a bid, they just give it to the large business. They just say, here, fulfill this order. What is it going to cost? And so if you know, like I said, those websites, you can then figure out the cost, put it in a package, send it to them. And then when you get the contract, you have to know how to protect yourself. You have to know how to fulfill the order. We have, we give our members a certain checklist and do this, this, this in order to fulfill the order. From there, you get the order. Then you'd have to know how to build the government. And our admins in the Philippines do all that. Like we, we train them how to do all that stuff. Um, so it's, it's a great thing. I wrote a book called Federal Construction Contract Simplified. They can go to Federal Construction Contract Simplified.com if they want to learn more. It's like 19 chapters of just bomb after like wisdom, just wisdom after wisdom. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going through different mentorships, hiring a retired government contractor who did over $300 million worth of government contracts. I worked with him side by side for a year and I learned the best practices and processes. And I put that all into my mastermind so my people could succeed at a high level. Great. I look forward to checking that book out. For um, sure. I have a, I have a call link where if they want to reach out to me, it's just million dollar federal contractor.com. Again, it's million dollar federal contractor.com. We'll put that in show notes. Awesome. What's next for you, Justin? Man, what's next for me is I just started this award. Um, it's like an actual plaque award. My goal is this year to help 50 people make a million dollars out of government contracts. Uh, that's my, nice. my goal right, right this second. Uh, a guy named Ralph out of North Carolina bought my training. He's in my mastermind on his sixth deal. He landed to replace doors at an army base doors, just doors. He made over a million dollars on that deal, million dollars cash. So we, we made him a plaque, a beautiful with our logo that says million dollar earner. And I want to get 50 of those out this year. That's great. That's awesome. So for the sake of time, um, I just want to hop over to our radio round real quick. Just three quick questions. Help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one is what's your favorite book? Oh, dude, I, uh, <laughs> I practice. So in terms of spiritual, I'd say, um, the magic of believing by Claude Bristol is a beautiful book about med- meditation, visualization and law of attraction in terms of my faith. That's called the law uh, the magic of believing by Claude Bristol. It's a uh, written b- around the time of thinking grow rich. It, it's, it's like a, a parable, a story of a man of his poverty to massive amounts of wealth. That's a great book. Um, in terms of my faith, you know, I've obviously practiced my faith and I read my scripture. Um, in terms of business, I'd say traction is my now favorite book yeah. that I'm studying like crazy and who not how those are two good resources for a person trying to build a business. Awesome. Yeah, no, I I love both of those books. Um, What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, I'd have to say by Hal Elrod, he taught me something called the miracle equation. I don't know what the quote is, but, but I'll summarize it. It basically says the miracle equation, you can get anything you want in life. If you set a goal, write a plan, take massive action and have unwavering faith that you'll hit it. And that's the equation that I've lived for every goal I've ever wanted and every goal I've ever had almost has come to fruition. And if they haven't, it's just in the process of coming true. 
great. What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Spend time with my girls and my wife. Uh, have fires at the beach. Teach them how to surf with the family. But my favorite thing to do is surf incredibly large waves in Dominical. I'm talking waves that are <laughs> 60 feet wide, 15 feet high, that if you get caught in it, you're like tossed like a rag doll and just spit up like like a, like put in a grinder. But if you ride it, you're just pure bliss in a state of flow and your hand your hand your hands dragging on it and you're just going sideways vertical through the wave it's the most exhilarating feeling in the entire world that's awesome i can't wait to come visit you um let's go for the sake of time i got another interview coming up in a couple minutes so we're gonna have to drop but i really want to make sure that our listeners can get in touch with you I think you mentioned a few different areas, but can you summarize for our listeners, how can they find out more about your business, about your mastermind, about your training? How can they get in touch with you and follow along yes. with you? Sure. If somebody wants to schedule a call with me, go to milliondollarfederalcontractor.com. It'll ask them some questions about where they are, where they want to be, and then they'll get an opportunity to talk with me. It's not a sales call. It's just I figure out where you want to be and see if I can help you make substantial amounts of cash through government contracts. Again, that's milliondollarfederalcontractor.com. If somebody wants to get me a little bit, get to know me a little bit better before they hop on a call, they can get my book. It's called Federal Construction Contracts Simplified.com. Again, that is Federal Construction Contracts Simplified.com. They can also find me on Facebook. Um, I also have a YouTube channel called the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Again, that's on YouTube or any place you want to listen to a podcast. It's called the Real Construction Owners Podcast, where I teach individuals how to become a real owner and not a stressed out operator. That's awesome. That's awesome. Gus and I really enjoyed today. If uh, if I didn't have another interview, I'd stay on another hour with you. But um, really enjoyed meeting with you. Enjoyed being on your show the other day. And um, sorry we missed each other in Tahoe. Looking forward to connecting soon in person and keeping up with you on your journey. Come down to Puerto Vida, Costa Rica. I'd love to show you a good time with your family. Take care, brother. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.